The first Bible reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. The Lord has said to Abraham, to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out of, from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they, they set out from the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading this morning is Revelation chapter 5. Um, it's on uh, page uh, 1194 of your pew Bible. The scroll and the lamb. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked... And heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and strength, and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. 
the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Shalom, everyone. I'll speak in English. Would you turn back in your Bibles to that section in Genesis? And we're going to take a few minutes and run through several Bible passages, Genesis all the way to Revelation, a piece here and a piece there, and look at what we call a biblical theology of mission. Sounds academic, sounds boring, sounds, what's that for? Well, you'll see, because it impacts not only what I do for a living, but hopefully what you'll do in response. Today we're going to talk about God's idea from the beginning. That's why we start in Genesis. And if you only brought a New Testament to hear a Jew, well, what were you thinking? All right, Genesis 12 is the story of God's call to Abram. Later he's recalled, renamed Abraham, and he's the first Jew. Isaac, Jacob, Judah, odd to call him the first Jew since Jew comes from the word Judah, his great-grandson, don't ask. So Genesis 12 is this call of Abram when he's living either in Ur, what a funny word that is, of the Chaldees, or in Haran, up in Assyria, And he's called to go into what we later call the promised land or Israel. God tells him that he's going to make him great. He'll make him, verse 2, a great nation. The Hebrew word for nation is goy. If you live close enough to Caulfield, you might know that goy is a derogatory word for you, a Gentile. But the first goy in the Bible is Abraham. There you go. Throw that back at him. Um, I'll bless you. Make your name great. This is obviously in response to the Tower of Babel where they wanted to make their name great. And you'll be a blessing. And God says he'll bless Abraham and his seed, that is his children, after him. And if anybody blesses him, great, you get blessed. And if you curse what's later the Jewish people, not such a smart idea, right? You'll be cursed. That's where a lot of people stop. But we read all the way to verse 5 for a reason. You see, there's a little confusion. When you read this and it says, So Abram took Sarah, his wife, actually Sarai, she gets a name change later too, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions that they'd accumulated, and all the people whom they had acquired. Now, wait a minute. What's the difference between things and people? In ancient days, nothing, because a slave was acquired, a slave was accumulated, a slave was the same as silver and gold and camel. It was a thing that you owned. Hmm. Rashi, the great interpreter of the Older Testament and Judaism, really, back in the medieval days, said that the people whom he had acquired in Haran were not actually slaves, but proselytes. In other words, Abram is told, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abram, get out there and go to the nations. Okay? As a result of that, he turned in Haran 
and gathered some souls and said, come with me. I don't know where we're going. We're going to, I don't know where it is, but when we get there, you'll be, we'll all be with God. And the first response of Abram, the man of faith, to the word of God to go into the world was to gather people to go with him. Ponder that one. Turn to Exodus chapter 19. It's the story as the Jewish people were there at the Sinai Mount. I don't know why it's nicknamed by some Sinai. I don't know where they get that extra syllable. Uh, Exodus 19 and verses 5 and 6 we read this. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, God is telling the Jewish people, and keep my covenant, then you'll be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you'll be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Jewish people are promised to be a goy again, a goy kadosh this time, a holy nation. Now, he's telling the Jewish people, the three million or so gathered there at the foot of Mount Sinai, that we've got some requirements. If you keep this up, everything's going to be A-OK. And what does he say? You will be segula, a special treasure. In our first hymn that we sang this morning, at the end of that first verse, I, I was looking for it because I don't. there's no hymnal, uh, but a beautiful phrase that said basically God wanted to make of us a special treasure. And that's exactly a reflection from Exodus 19. What is a segula? What's a special treasure? You know, you take your child or your grandchild's picture that they draw for you. And I don't know what it is, but they say it's a stegosaurus or it's mom and dad or I don't know what that is. And for some reason, you put that up on your fridge. And about 12 years later, they come along and say, man, why is that still up on the fridge? Oh, because it's you, honey. You, I love you. It's you and I love you. Yeah. That's what a segula is, a special treasure. God puts you on his fridge. That's what it is. And then it says, for all the earth is mine. That's a whisper that Moses records that nobody really gets. All the earth is mine. It says, you'll be a special treasure among all the peoples, and you'll be mamlechet kohanim, a kingdom of kohens, a kingdom of priests. Now, you're Presbyterian, so you don't think in terms of priests. But think outside the box this morning. What's a priest do? In every cultus, a priest stands between the deity and the people. He represents the people to the deity and the people and the deity to the people, right? In any worshiping community. So God says, Israel, you all, I'm not a Southern American, so I don't say y'all, but you get it. Y'all are going to be a kingdom of people representing me to someone else. See, it doesn't make sense. A priest doesn't stand up here and priest other priests. A priest represents him, his God to the other people. So in this call, Israel is called to represent God to all the peoples. Does that make sense? We didn't get it. In Leviticus, I'll just mention a couple other verses. In Leviticus chapter 19, we are told not to cut the corners of our beard. Where exactly are the corners of your beard? 
Not everyone is very rectangular. Uh, so that's why you see some Jewish guys with the curls, right? Some who don't know, you know, it's a hedge principle. The, the principle in Jewish interpretation, a, bib, a Bible interpretation, is to always build a hedge about the Torah, build a hedge about the law. You've seen the letters G-D to spell God. And you say, well, why did they spell it G-D instead of G-O-D? Because if you don't take the name of God, you won't take the name of God in vain. So you build a hedge or a buffer. What time were you supposed to wake up this morning to get here on time to practice with the musos? Well, whatever time it was, you put seven minutes earlier on your alarm clock and said, well, I'll just... And then it, it goes off, and then you say, oh, I'll get seven more minutes of sleep. And you build a hedge into your own system. How fast are you allowed to go on the southeastern freeway? And how fast do you really go? You build a hedge, unless you've met a policeman earlier, you build a hedge, that'll be all right. I'll give a little extra. In fact, if they tell you you could drive 120, you would drive 130, and they know that's not safe, so they bring it back to 110. They build a hedge knowing the human condition. Anyway, so why do we have, why do, some Jewish guys have like goatees like I do so that you have the four corners. Some have a giant beard. That's a real hedge. Uh, just to make sure that you don't break Torah. Well, you get the idea. In Numbers chapter 15, we're told to wear fringes on the corners of our garments. Now, I aver this, that when a Jewish man passes another Jewish man in this biblical society with the beard and the four corners, that they were saying something to themselves without saying a word. You see, here's an understanding that will be useful. You've heard of the four winds or the four corners of the world on the ABC Monday night, 8.30. What's the TV show? Four corners. What's that about? It's about the world. Have you seen a globe? Are there four corners on it? No. Why do we say that? What we mean by four is the universal. The four corners, the four winds. We mean everything. You say the four seasons, you mean the lot. If you talk particularly to Abraham or to Elijah or to Peter, you talk particularly. But if you talk universally to Jewish people, you talk about the four corners. So when a Jewish man passes another Jewish man and they see the four corners of their beard and they've got dangling fringes on the four corners of their garment, it's to say to one another, it's not about us, it's about the four corners of the world. It gets all the way to Singapore and New Zealand. It gets all the way to Iran and to Buenos Aires. The, the good news of God is to all nations. What did he say? For all the earth is mine. But we didn't hear it. We got into the clever minutiae maintenance. We comply with biblical requirements and we forget what it was all about. Well, we could do this through every book of the Bible. Deuteronomy's great. Um, how about Jonah? Jonah. You like Jonah? You know the story? The whale, the big fish, saved him. That was good. <clears throat> but without the whale, what's happened? Jonah would be dead in the water, wouldn't he? Right? So here he is. He's thrown overboard because of uh, something that they mysteriously understand. And he's out there, and a fish swallows him. And it says that after three days, he prayed. <laughs> what took him so long? Anyway, three days, he's praying. And God's 
has the fish, he makes the, the whale fish sick, and he spits him up, and uh, then Jonah rethinks this, go, don't go. Well, what happened? Jonah was in a city called Joppa. That's on the, it's Tel Aviv in modern days. They're, they're merged together. And he's there, and he gets an instruction from God to go to the Ninevites. You know who the Ninevites were. They were the, it's the capital of the Assyrian kingdom, the dreaded evil enemy of the Jewish people, the Ahmadinejad of the day. They were military occupiers of a section of Israel. They were no good for Jews. And God tells Jonah to go and tell them about the good news of God. He says, yeah, forget about it. So he, he's not really interested. Then the whale happens then to spit out, and he thinks, yeah, maybe I'll go. So he, he rethinks the go, don't go, and he goes, and he preaches, and what happens? They all get saved, king and everybody, and that's, that's pretty exciting. And you'd think you know, he'd be able to write newsletters about that for a good long time. And instead, he grovels in despair and bother. We might have a vote one day about whether we should even include Jonah in the Bible, but that's another story. In fact, I think of another story that may help you understand why we want to keep Jonah in the Bible, and that's the story in Acts chapter 10. It's a story in the Newer Testament. Some of you may be happier that I finally get over to that side of the Bible. It's not the back half, by the way. Can you see that? That's the Bible older, that's the Bible newer, and it includes maps and concordances. So it's not exactly 50-50, you know what I'm saying? In Acts chapter 10, we see a story of a man named Cornelius who's going to have an encounter with the living God, and this is pretty exciting. He's going to meet a guy named Simon Peter. Simon Peter, Simon who got a new name called Peter in Matthew chapter 16, wasn't it? I better get the reference right. There are Bible people around here. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Yeah, just for you taking notes. Uh, who do you Yeshua, you call him Jesus. You might call him Jesucristo. But I recommend Yeshua, which is exactly God saves. That was a beautiful phrase the kids learned this morning. When Yeshua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Good, good question. He didn't say, who did you say I was to all the people you just went out and witnessed to? He said, what's the buzz? What were they talking about? What did they say about me? So he didn't just send them out to preach, he sent them out to listen as well. It's a good way to go. They said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the pro in other words, a dead guy risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And verse 16, 16, Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Yeshua answered and said this weird phrase to him. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah? Blessed are you? You know, that's how Jewish prayers mostly begin. Baruch atah. Blessed are you. This is not just an ordinary, hey, good on you, matey. This is not one of those. This is a blessing that is, we would say, an ordination ceremony. And he is conferring the blessing of God on Peter, and he gives him the formal name, Simon Barjona. That's how you'd be called up in synagogue 
for a blessing or certain prayers, you use your formal name. That's his formal name. That's why I know it's ordination. Simon Bar, meaning son of Jonah. I don't know if Jonah was his daddy's name, but it certainly was his ministry. Whatever Jonah didn't do, Peter's going to get a chance to do. So in Acts chapter 10, we see that. In Acts chapter 10, we see Cornelius, who's a Roman, again, now dreaded enemies of the Jewish people, occupying the land of Israel, and God is going to use this weird dream that Peter has to get him to go tell those guys about the good news of God. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Look what it says in chapter 9 and verse 43. It was that he, that's Peter, stayed many days in Joppa. There it is, same city, Tel Aviv, with Simon, a tanner. And then up north, up in Caesarea, I know Caesarea today, Caesarea today, because it's the only place in Israel, the only, in all of Israel, with a golf course. I played it last November. Yes, there's a lot of sand. That's a no-brainer. Anyway, he, he's up in Caesarea, and Cornelius has this idea from God that he's supposed to dispatch some men. He gets this vision. He's supposed to dispatch some men down to Tel Aviv, to Joppa, and to inquire of a guy named Simon who's going to come up and tell you what you're supposed to do. He does it. Peter, at the same time, is having this weird dream. It's noon. I don't know if you've seen this one. Verse number 9, it says, As they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. It was about lunchtime. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, so he's smelling the chicken soup, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creepy things, birds of the air, and the stuff that they eat on Survivor. All right. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, Peter said, Forget about it. Not so, Lord. Now let me recommend you, don't ever use this phrase. Don't say no and God in the same sentence. It's not very smart. If he's God, say yes. If he's not, you can say yes or no. That's fine. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Why? I've never eaten anything common or unclean. I'm Jewish. I don't eat that stuff that you put on your eggs benedict. I just, I don't do that, right? I'm Jewish. And a voice came to him and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now you might say, come on, Pete, get it together. This is about lunch. It's okay. You can have the ham. You can have the little piggy. You can, you can do that. Have a little shrimp on the barbie. It's okay. It, 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 you'll be all right. But that's not what the story is about at all. It's not about what Peter eats for breakfast or lunch. If you read that only that way, you miss a whole lot of Bible. In the same way, many Jewish people have missed a whole lot of Bible, and I don't want you to miss it as well. Now, this took place three times. you got to figure Peter's going to get it by the second or third time. He's Peter. He's, he's been preaching for nine chapters already. He's been saved. He's been out ministering, some say, up to ten years since Yeshua died and rose from the dead. He'd get it, wouldn't he? Uh-uh. 
Look what it says in verse number 17. While Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he'd seen might mean. Or in the, is it King James? He was greatly perplexed. (laughs) I love that. He didn't get it. See, this encourages me because I don't get so much of what I read in the book. And I figure if Peter didn't get it, this is good. I'm still going to keep reading. I'm still going to believe it. I don't get it a lot. I used to know a lot more. Forty years ago when I got saved, I knew everything. Just ask. But today, I know so much less. It doesn't mean I'd believe less. Please, God, may I believe more. But I just don't have to get it first before I believe it. That's a good biblical humility that we can all live in. So Peter didn't get it. But overnight, he ended up getting it. Look what it says. On the next day, verse 23, Peter went with them and took some brothers, meaning some Jewish believers from Joppa, with him. His smart move, he needed some witnesses because he now sorted it out. So he rocks up to Caesarea. He's up there. It's a good hundred kilometers away. And Peter's coming in. And they bow down and worship. He says, get up. I put on my toga just like you. Verse 28, he said, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of the Goyim. I'm not supposed to hang out with the Gentiles. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. The vision was not about bacon double cheeseburgers, but about people who eat them. That's you guys. The vision was about inclusion. The vision was to remind Peter at Joppa, the place where Jonah failed to go to the Ninevites, that he should go to the dreaded enemies, the Romans, of the Jews, and preach the good news of Christ to them. And that's what happened. And they all exalted God and magnified God and sang in the Spirit. It sounds like a great praise service. I want to see the DVD of that Chapter 10, when I get to heaven, it'll be awesome. This idea of going to the four corners was clarified in the four-cornered sheet with the four-footed animals. It's not about you, Israel. It's about the four corners of the world. Do you get it? Good. So turn with me to that last verse we read, Revelation chapter 5. And then don't miss this. Because that same phrase is said to y'all that was said to Israel at Mount Sinai. I love this passage. Really, I knew Revelation back and forth 40 years ago. Today, I just read it and believe it. It's the only book in the Bible that promises me a blessing if I read it. I read it. I love it. I don't get it, but it's going to be great when it, whatever it is. Whatever. I've taught it several times. I still don't get it. But I look forward to the day when he comes, when he splits the sky, and he takes over the globe again. This is going to be an awesome day. Yeah. Verse 9, we know this is Yeshua because he's died. He's the the lamb who was slain. Verse 9, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you've redeemed us to God. That sounds like the Exodus. Redeemed us to God by your blood. See, that's exactly what happened in Exodus before the reading at the Mount Sinai. But look what it says. And you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every, count them, tribe and language and people and nation. Four. Because, again, the writer John is not just random in his numbering. Out of all the peoples of the earth, God has redeemed a people for himself and made, verse 10, us 
the people of God to be kings and priests to our God. In other words, you are from wherever you are, not only to reach your people, Canterbury, Surrey Hills, Melbourne, Victoria, but to go, where's the couple going to Singapore? There you are, yeah, Singapore. One of our missionaries is in Singapore this week, preaching in churches and visiting with Jews. We go to Singapore once a year, I'll hope to see you there. You get to go to Papua New Guinea, the Philippines, Santiago, Chile, Honduras, England. There's a little country called U.S. that needs desperately some people to go and be missionaries. And dare I say, Australia. We need to get a view that's beyond our Joppa and go to the Four Corners. Now, don't worry about getting on the next boat to Tassie or wherever you want to take a boat to. You, where, look, go that, do that. But pray, ask God to lead you to a people. It might be a people, a Vietnamese people, right here in Melbourne. It might be a Jewish people. Huh right in Caulfield. You may not need to have a six-pointed star sheet come down from heaven with bagels and chicken soup and matzo balls. You, You may not need to have that come down before God is saying to you, witness to Jewish people. Don't be afraid of somebody with a last name that ends in Steiner Berg. They know so much. Yeah, yeah. You know somebody. They know much. You know somebody, which is going to win. The one who knows the one who knows all things. So don't be afraid to take on any task that God himself is giving you. In fact, I'd be afraid to take on a task that God is not giving me. (laughs) He's made us to be kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Brothers and sisters, this is what it's about. All the earth is mine, God says. Don't miss it. All the earth. That must include New South Wales. Swans supporters. It must include anybody and everybody. So you do what God wants you to do. I was so proud of you yesterday with the sausage sizzle witness. And what you're going to do in that door knocking week. Does that scare any of you to go knock on doors? Yeah, I would think so. I stand on street corners and I have no problem wearing a Jews for Jesus t-shirt, handing out gospel tracts by the thousands. I am totally intimidated by door knocking. Isn't that weird? You think, really? What's so hard about that? See, giftedness. And just go do it. Just go do it. I'm so excited for you. On Wednesday, the 27th, when you're doing your mission week, that's the first night of Hanukkah. The ladies are going to have their sugar and spice night, or whatever it's called. Um, uh, So you won't get many Jewish mothers to come along that night because they'll be lighting candles and giving gifts to their kids. But during that whole week, maybe you'll knock on a Jewish door. You know, the one with the little metal piece there at the door that has the Bible verses inside it. 
And maybe God will grace you to go to that fourth corner to knock on the door and share the good news of Jesus. Hanukkah is a great time to pass on the good news of Messiah. Let me give you a couple things that will, I think, encourage you. By the way, would you take that white card that you received, bend it back and forth on that perforation? Would you do that just now? Bend it back and forth, and then tear the card, hopefully on the perforation, and you'll have two cards. Stop tearing it, too. The large card is for me. The small card is for you. So you hold on to that small card and pray for us. Uh, That'll be useful. I, I really do appreciate it. I know you're a praying church. And that's fantastic. And Don, I'll send you stuff once in a while and keep you posted so you can pass it on. You can make it public or private, uh, but it's good stuff that you can pray for. The large card is for me after you fill it out. It doesn't do me any good if you give it to me blank. But um, turn it into the church office. Sorry, new administrative worker. Or post it to me or just give it to me over in the hall where we have morning tea and I'll be glad to get you our newsletter. We prefer sending it to you by email. Then you can forward it to others more easily, and more people read by email than by post anyway. The only thing most people get in the post are bills, and people hate going to the post box. That's interesting. But if you are one of the three people in Victoria who still doesn't have an email address, I'll be happy to send this to you in the post uh, happily. So you fill out that card and give it to me. That'll be great. Um, My brother is 68 years old and has stage 4 liver cancer. He is not a believer. And if you would pray for him once in a while, even now as you're thinking about it, that would be extremely kind to me, to him. I gave him a Bible in October. I went to see him first in July and then again in October. Lord willing, I'll see him at the 1st of January. Um, You know, with his kind of condition, he could go into a coma tonight. But for the first time ever, my Bible I gave him, he said thank you and kept it. And I talked to him last week, and he started to read it. But hey, 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 it's a big book, he says to me. I go, I know, I know, it's all right. My friend Philip is a dentist, lives in Sydney. And about seven years ago, I met him professionally for the first time, going to his dentistry. And last Thursday night, he gave his life to Jesus. He's a Jew from Czechoslovakia, and I've been working on him while he's been working on me for about seven years. And it's been a great innings. He's come to the shop. We've talked. We've played golf together. God has been kind and opened his eyes last Thursday. I hope you'll pray for him. He's in his 60s, and he's trying to tell everyone around. He's he's so excited. He's called me. He said, I testified. (laughs) He's so excited. Right now in Beersheba, that's in the south in Israel, that's the dangerous section. When I was in Tel Aviv, you had 90 seconds between the siren going off and the Iron Dome catching the bomb. In Nariya, where I was up north, you had 15 seconds between siren and bomb. In Sterot, you have no seconds down in the south. And that's where our team is right now, 24 young, mostly young people, out there on the street corners. They handed out this week 10,000 gospel tracts one by one. They made, on average, 1,300 telephone cold calls this week. 
per day, 1,300 a day. And I looked at the email just now before I got up. 450 unbelieving Jewish people gave us their details for further agreement. They agreed to hear more from us. They were, we're sending them a book. They're open to it. They gave us their postcard, whatever it is. I've never heard of that kind of number in one week in our witness. I don't know of anything that's been that big. I'm pretty excited about it. And we're going to have, while you're doing uh, Hanukkah door knocking, we're going to have a celebration up in Sydney. I wanted to give you some of those concerns that you might pray. The uh, newsletter, I hope, will equip you with more information, stories of what happens as we go out to the streets, as we visit with Jewish people in their homes and offices, as we give you Bible teachings, lots of stuff in the newsletter. I hope that you'll agree to hear from me yet more by filling that out. On the table in the fellowship hall, in the parish hall, are some books like my testimony, which includes my grandmother's coming to faith at 96, never give up. Uh, But this book called Matthew and Mission by a Jewish believer named Martin Goldsmith from the UK highlights some of the things I mentioned this morning. And if you like Jewish gospel music, and Don will do some next time, Jewish, it's like Fiddler on the Roof meets Amazing Grace. We'll do, we'll do some of that next time. Uh, then you'll really like this. I brought several CDs, but this one I especially want to highlight called Glorious Day by my friend Deborah Klein in Torno. Her mother was this, she's this size too. Her mother was a little, uh, uh, Puerto Rican fireball and her dad was a Jewish German. And she's got a blend of both, and her music is fantastico. It's, uh, it's just really great. So maybe you'll pick up some of that afterwards. Chris, it's a joy to partner with you. St. Stephen's is one of only about 30 churches in Australia that has taken Jews for Jesus on as a mission to support in country. And that is noble. It's glorious. It's great. I love the partnership. I love coming here. Um, Yesterday I met up with a couple different Jewish couples. I flew down in the morning yesterday, tonight. I'll speak at Canterbury Prezi this afternoon at 5 and then fly out tonight at 9 back to Sydney. So I like getting down here. I like getting to do work. Um, You afford me the chance to do that by supporting us. So I don't take that lightly and hear it from me as the leader of Jews for Jesus. We count on you. We appreciate you, and we're going to keep standing with you and encourage you to keep doing the work that God's called you to do as well. Brothers and sisters, thank you. And let's be about that biblical theology, proclaiming the good name of Yeshua to the ends of the earth until he comes. Shalom.